Welcome to Movie Wars, episode 0018. We're out of control and blind as a bat. I'm Kyle. Long live and podcast. I'm Drew. FN2187. Who gave you permission to listen to this podcast? I'm Phil. <laughs> nice. <laughs> love, man. You've been so on it with your intros lately. I love it. Yeah, I plan them out ahead of time, write them down, and it makes me feel better about myself. Actually, real talk, I did not plan that ahead. And then when you said you forgot, I was like, long live and podcast. <laughs> love it. Priv long and Ross. Well, so we are doing The Force Awakens versus Star Trek reboot 2009. Let's get right into it. You know, I was frightened to death when you guys picked these two because for a few reasons. First of all, I don't think it's arguable that these might be the two most dedicated fan bases in film history. I think the more recent things that you could maybe say are similar Harry Potter, maybe Lord of the Rings, and maybe the MCU, but I still don't see the amount of revelry that you still see with Star Trek and Star Wars. Agreed. Um, it's incredible at the same time. For me, I, I dipped in and out of these films as a, as a kid. I never really loved them because let's be real, we all know how I like my space. I like it filled with phallic-shaped aliens that bleed <laughs> acid. You know yeah. what I mean? That's how I like my outer space. And Drew, you told me, you were like, I'm, I'm afraid that these might not be dark enough for you. And that was kind of actually my fear going into it too, is just, I love darker stuff, you know? And when it comes to sci-fi, especially half of my favorite films are violent, crazy sci-fi films. But where I want to start is 1968, 2001 A Space Odyssey comes out. And we're not going to get deep into it, but this was essential for Star Wars and Star Trek because when that movie came out, and James Cameron, I read an interview with him in Variety, and he said before Space Odyssey, sci-fi was a lot of creatures, it was a lot of camp, it was a lot of spaceships. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of real respect for the genre, he said. But then when 2001 came out, he literally, his words are, it upgraded it to a first-class genre because he focused mm. so much on scientific stuff. He said it was so annoying that, you know, in real life, there is no sound in outer space, but Kubrick was the first one to say, we're going to have silent outer space because scientifically, that's what's real. You leave it to Kubrick to mm -hmm. kind of do the right thing all the time yes. with the genre. Almost like center it so much that it allows everybody else to get fantastical with it again. He like yes. pulls it all always back to the center. With exactly. And so even though there's not a lot of similarities between Space Odyssey and the two films we're discussing today and the two franchises we're discussing today. It did create a new era in sci-fi where two franchises like Star Trek and Star Wars could blossom. Even though they're not scientifically perfection and all those things, they blossomed a lot because people were more appreciative of the genre as a whole. I think that the most important thing for me in studying for this podcast was is the reason that these two franchises, given the fact that sci-fi had been changed, is that really narratives were changing, uh, especially in sci-fi, because it became a serious genre that was getting darker. It's really crazy to think that the first Star Trek and the first Alien film came out in the same year. And then you look at, you got Terminator around the corner, you got Aliens around the corner. We're seeing a more violent, a more intricate, dark way of telling sci-fi stories happening, yet Star Trek and Star Wars are so containerized. Oh, yeah. And I was so endeared by, by this lack of desire to say, well, Aliens and Ridley Scott, it's getting darker. Whoa, Terminator, that was pretty violent, blah, blah, blah. We're just going to keep doing it the way we do it. The first four Star Trek films are amazing because the, the most action you really see is like, and I'm sure it's just a camera tilt, but it's just like whenever the ship gets hit by a tornado and it tilts and everyone's flying Tor all over the Wait, place. By a tornado? A torpedo. Oh, okay. Did I say go. tornado? Yeah, you did. By a <laughs> torpedo. Oh my God, by 
one of those space, 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 space natoes. I've already yeah. had some bourbon. But uh, I, <laughs> I just love it. And But it's like, there were three other Star Trek films that came out, I think, before Aliens came out. And they're still like, nah, Aliens is cool, but we're still going to do the ship tilt action, you know, that we're going to stick yeah, to it. They ran in their lane. They yeah, stick. and Star Wars, even though it's bigger, it's got better budgets, it's better graphically in a lot of ways, but they also had a formula that they, they didn't feel the need to dip back into kind of the way that dark storytelling was happening. Because think about from, you know, you get before Space Odyssey and by the 90s we have Terminator, Predator, Robocop, just violent, dark, new types of sci-fi happening. Um, and I just love how, and that endeared me as someone that wasn't really a fan going into this podcast. And now, and I'll get into this in my experiences, I've been converted in a lot of ways. And I, I think I was just as an adult endeared by that lack of peer pressure to get darker. Well, to your point about Star Wars and, you know, Alien and Star Trek coming out within three years, the rumor is that there were a stack of space-based scripts <clears throat> on most studios' desks that they're like just too afraid to pull the trigger on, too afraid to spend the money on what it would cost to make a space film. And then when Star Wars hit in 77, it was like, okay, let's green light the space movies. Yep. People like space. And then that's when we saw Star Trek and Alien and yeah. it opened well, the floodgates. I don't know if you're going to talk about this at a future point in this podcast, but one of the things that I think allowed Star Trek and Star Wars especially to really like explode in the way they did was neither of those franchises took themselves too seriously. They were based on fantasy and fun and like something that everybody loves and thinks is cool, outer space, spaceships, battles, and just very definite heroes and villains. Right. And it's like you throw that formula out there, you're going to appeal to a lot of people. And the thing that I think caused both of these franchises to kind of perpetuate and cross generations and really pull in a lot of people was just the fact that they were fun. Mm -hmm. People enjoyed them. Like Alien is really interesting and terrifying and amazing, but it's not like fun. You're not like, hey guys, let's right. go watch Aliens. You're you know? scared. You're well, same like, with 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's like, no, it's, that is it's, not fun at all. <laughs> I mean, in a landmark film in its own right and, you know, obviously inspired a lot of these filmmakers to follow, but like, that's not something you, that feels more like an acid trip than a bucket of popcorn, you it, know? Absolutely. You both just nailed it on the head. Well, even if you look at the only other franchises who have done arguably what Star Wars and Star Trek have done, you mentioned them earlier, Harry Potter and Marvel also fun. Mm. They're fun yeah. and endearing and the characters are awesome. There's comedic relief. There's a formula that all of these follow with honestly Star Trek being the outlier because that's a lot more serious. But overall, it's just they're they're fun franchises. They're fantastical and they draw you in. I love what you both said and it actually is a perfect segue into my last point, which is we're talking about two reboots. If, I guess you could call Force Awakens a reboot in a way. I know it's te technically it's you know the next iteration from six, but... You have my permission to call it a reboot. Okay, we'll call it a reboot. Our resident experts today are or Phil and Drew. Kyle's just tagged. Hi, good Kyle's, to meet you guys. I yeah. hear you're a great audience. We can acknowledge that it's not technically a reboot, but for the sake of this conversation, we will call it a reboot. Yeah, thank you. And you guys are going to be my verbal editors this whole episode. You know, we are living in the era of the reboot. Everything's being remade, prequel, prequel, you know, remade. And NyQuil. Yeah, yeah NyQuil. <laughs> you said that earlier. I did. NyQuil. <laughs> Z-Quil. Z-Quil. <laughs> that would have been better. <laughs> There's a lot of fatigue with me going into this. Yes, Star Trek came out in 2009, but by the time I needed to watch for this podcast, I'm just like, kind of like, okay, can we get back to making new shit? You had 43 years to get to Star Trek, and yeah, I finally did. And I finally did, and I love it. You know, Nolan, the thing is, is like, when Nolan was remaking Batman, I loved those. I loved kind of that dark approach. I kind of liked getting more serious and taking it, taking itself a little more serious, but after that, with each iteration, every franchise in the world, every, it felt like every filmmaker was like, we just gotta do a 
dark version of something. And I finally was like, can we kind of get back to what we're talking about now, which is that adventurous, fun-loving thing? And so, you know, that's to me is really, you know, really the question today. And I'm not asking like right now, but, you know, did we need the reboot? You know, it's like, did they do the old ones justice? Those are things that were going through my mind. And I really did love how these two films really did. I feel like they, I don't know what you guys think, but stayed in that adventurous lane really well, oh, yeah. given this new trend of let's make old things dark and scary. And here's another thing with these two movies. We fully acknowledge that there is a lot of fandom beyond just enjoying movies behind both of these. And whenever you reboot or remake a franchise, you are essentially as a director kind of taking your life into your, your own hands at that point. And, or, well, not even your own hands, putting it in the hands of the fans. Hopefully we on this podcast are able to do these two films justice because these would be two of the biggest juggernauts we've probably ever dared to handle yeah. on Movie Wars. So We're inviting chaos to our door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just think how JJ not. felt. Yeah. yeah. Had to do them both. And That's a great point. For the sake of knowledge of the listener, we are going to tackle, for the most part, we do have one category that's going to bring the, the whole franchise for each of these in the retrospect. But for the most part, we want to tackle these two films. And, and this is not, there are some great Star Wars podcasts out there. I've seen them. Some of the biggest movie podcasts out there are Star Wars. If you want a, a truly fan-driven deep dive that are out there, we're not doing that here today. We're doing a Movie Wars thing today. So um, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We're going to so, say some shit you don't agree with and too fucking bad. I was actually really looking forward to this section. Of the, the Millennial podcast. Vulcan. Here <laughs> yeah. we come. The Millennial Vulcan. Here we go. <laughs> That's right. I actually called the Millennium Falcon the Millennial Falcon earlier. Um, and I was I was corrected very quickly. Yeah, still so, corrected him. I was looking forward to this because I know you both are fans. Let's talk about experiences, Drew. What's your experience with these? <laughs> Loaded motherfucking I was qu- not a Star Trek fan. I, the, my, I have memories of seeing it come on TV as a child. Like maybe reruns of the 60s show or something. And I think I was in my 20s before I realized it was Star Trek and not Star Trek. Yes. Uh, real story. Um, but I, I went to this and saw it in the theaters because it was, you know, as the marketing got me, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Big, you know, summer blockbuster. Abrams was hot shit at the time. You know, I was a lost guy and all that stuff. And I just remember having so much fun with it. The pacing was incredible. I thought the storytelling was just, it just moved at such a wonderful pace and it was just a blast. I will say I didn't walk away from it wanting to dive into the past. So I don't know if that was, if, if his goal was to get the viewer to be like, huh, I hadn't seen the other movies. I want to go back and watch them. It didn't do that for me. But at the same time, I hadn't seen any other movies or the TV shows and I wasn't bored at all or lost. Like I was completely, it just, it felt like a great isolated standalone summer blockbuster. Force Awakens, I was not really into Star Wars at the time it came out. I got into Star Wars more recently in life, but I had a buddy of mean buddy of mine trying desperately to get me to come see Force Awakens. He's like, dude, it's Star Wars. Like, just come to this movie with me. It's going to be awesome. And I watched it and I didn't really, it didn't do a whole lot for me at the time. I since have gotten super into Star Wars and I came to fully appreciate it for what it is and kind of how it paid homage to the franchise. But man, just a couple of amazing franchises, a couple of really, really, really strong entries in the franchise and mm-hmm. stoked to get into it. Phil. Man, I did not know that about you. Oh, that yeah, I'm not a Star Wars li- I'm not a Star Wars lifer. I really, I had seasons. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a young, young kid, I watched obviously the old ones and I thought they were cool, whatever, but I was a child, like six. Yeah. And then when Phantom Menace came out, I was really into the video games. Yeah. Like I really liked the pod racing game. Yeah, so, you those know, were that, good. That era, I was kind of like the niche demo that they were marketing to. And so I really enjoyed those. But like, I guess as as a collective whole, as a franchise, I didn't really care. Dude, that's funny. Um, Well, I thought I was a latecomer to the Star Wars thing getting like super deep into this in 1997 
But the funny thing about both of these franchises is they both have an immense amount of meaning for me. Star Wars mo more so than Star Trek, but Star Trek was like the first space thing I ever loved as a kid because when I was a kid, the next generation was on. And to me, that was like the definition of Star Trek. It was Picard and Worf and Data. That and was that the show that you just said next generation was the show that always came on when I was a yeah. kid. Yeah. And it, cause it felt like it was always on and it ran for multiple seasons. Yes. And I feel like, and I could be wrong because Star Trek had a massive following prior to next generation, but I feel like something about next generation made Star Trek charming because it was hyper modern. Picard was a hell of a protagonist. And so as a kid, I loved watching the next generation with my dad and we used to watch it all the time. And my, one of my, the first video games I ever owned was a game for Game Gear, which I'm pretty sure was called Star Trek Next Generation Beyond no the Nexus. Yeah, one of the first video games I owned. Dude, I obsessively played that game. Wow. It was like on this tiny screen and there were space battles and, and you could explore space stations. And it was like just every like space fantasy as a kid, I got to enjoy it in this game. And then another thing was me and my dad would go see all the TNG movies when they hit theaters like Generations and uh, First Contact and all that. So that was like a me and my dad thing. And then he would always talk about another space franchise and it was Star Wars and he had them bootlegged on some old VHSs. And I remember one time when he was mowing the lawn, I watched A New Hope and I was maybe like five and I it didn't do anything for me because I was a kid. So I didn't really get into Star Wars until the special editions came out. When those hit theaters, my dad went and rented all of the original cuts from Blockbuster. As a kid with no background on Star Wars, that just did me in. It was like the magic got me immediately and I couldn't get enough of it. I, as a kid in the late 90s, read the vast majority of the extended universe books, which have since been struck from the canon, sadly. They're going to say I, burned. I by who exactly? When Lucasfilm got purchased by Disney, Disney struck every EU novel from the canon. Was there a book Because they wanted to redefine it. I don't know. Probably not. I kind of hope there was a book So does burning. Disney release any books that are canon? Or they no? are. They do, yeah. I but just, it's not extended universe. Because any, okay, this is getting super into nerd culture, but you had the Thrawn trilogy. And, bro, this is a podcast called Movie Wars. Yeah, Let's get into it. So, yeah. so <laughs> chaos Star has been Wars, invited to our doorstep. So the Star Wars expanded universe or extended universe, I don't remember which word that was, but um, you had the Thrawn trilogy and then you had the, the books that focused around that and then you had like the nine X-Wing books and then all these I mean that just took and all of those were approved by Lucas like they were all you know authorized by Lucasfilm to basically continue the story of Star Wars after Return of the Jedi and some of them prior to and dude I read the shit out of those like I probably read 40 of those in middle school and high school I had Star Wars figures I watched the movies dozens of times I was a huge Star Wars fan from like 1997 onward but Prior to 97, it was all Star Trek for me. So, the, I mean, my experiences with these movies extend deep into my childhood. So I saw Star Trek 2009 when it came out and I wasn't as into Star Trek anymore at that point, but I thought it was just a super cool movie and I thought they did justice to the franchise. And then... Um, I went into The Force Awakens with a lot of trepidation because I remember seeing The Phantom Menace in Ugh. theaters and being deeply disappointed. As it, when it came out, it was 99, so I would have been 13. Worst movie I've ever seen. You were disappointed in thir at 13? With The Phantom Menace. We're talking about Phil here. Phil tried to bring down the entire European Union at 13. Yeah, that's right. No, um, but I remember seeing it at, at 13 after being engrossed in these movies for years and just hating it. And 
and then seeing Attack of the Clones and it was marginally better and then the the next one marginally better. So I walked into Force Awakens just like this movie is probably going to suck a lot and I was pleasantly surprised. So we'll get into that more I'm sure as we go on. But that was a really long intro on what these movies mean to me. No, that was beautiful. I'm going to do a feel like PSA. Um, you said they were struck from the canon. Yeah. If you don't go out and burn the books on the street corner, there is no visual way to know that things have been stricken from the record. So just <laughs> if you are so good though, if you're one out there who who wants to strike books from the record, just make sure there's a book burning. Amen. Or else I will have no clue until Phil tells me that it's been stricken from the record. It's so sad because they were such good books. Yeah. Like they were written by some legit sci-fi authors. Oh, I'm sure. If Lucas is signing off on these books, then Disney comes in and says what Lucas says doesn't count like well they had to strike it overstepping a little well they had to strike it from the canon to make the new trilogy because the new trilogy conflicted directly with the approved extension of the timeline from lucas ah so after return of the jedi they had something like 75 years worth of novels Mm. like written out and there wasn't a single good damn story in that whole i mean Hot book take. series they couldn't purchase the rights to or whatever. They, the storylines in the Expanded Universe series completely blow away what Disney did. Mm. They're far better. I don't doubt that. so weird. My experience is is funny with these. I And like I said earlier, I by the time I got around to even seeing either of these franchises, I'd cut my teeth on violent dark sci-fi, you know, Terminator and we everybody who's listening knows my story with those. But I always kind of viewed these shows, movies, whatever you want to say the canon is uh, for both of these franchises as kind of too much less you know, it was kind of, I don't know, too soft, you know, as a young agent. I remember my dad, I also kind of thought Star Trek, well, you said it was kind of old school. Your dad watched it. It's funny. You said VHS. Same experience oh, with Star yeah. Trek with my dad. My dad was a narcotics officer, so he would be out doing stings. And, but we were broke, so he would just do the- steal people's movies. You know. Yeah. And he did the paper route. <laughs> because, we, because we were broke, my dad would also deliver papers three nights a week. So I would come home from school and my dad would be asleep. And on the TV was the VHS recorded episode that day for Generations that came on in Picard card was on there. And so when I was a kid, I was kind of like, what the hell is this cheese? I've like, I've already seen Predator 60 times. Like, I don't, where's the blood? You know, early TNG seasons were like, yeah, they were stretching. It looked like they were stretching a budget. Yeah. I was like, what's Data's deal? Is he pale? Is he, what is he? You know, going into this, I was scared. Like Drew said, you know, he was kind of like, oh, I don't know if these are going to be dark enough for you. And that was my fear too. But you know, I had a really surprising outcome studying for this podcast in that I kind of just expected I was going to go in, probably like some Star Trek, but probably end up being a Star Wars fan like everyone else. And although I did really enjoy my Star Wars rewatches, I think based on the special features of the Star Trek reboot that I'm a Trekker. So much so I know I'm a Trekker because Trekkie is considered derogatory mm. by a lot of Trekkers. Interesting. So I'm a Trekker. I'm going to use the right. I was about to. I was just about to mock you because you said Trekker instead of Trekkie. Yeah. True Trekkers are Trekkers. Trekkie is a, is a derogatory thing according to my research. Googling it! Ah. Oh, wait. So Trek, people who are fans of Star Trek are technically are called Trekkies derogatorily. Yes. But uh, identify well, as Trekkers. There are Trekkies that call themselves Trekkies, but uh, like a lot of hardcore Trekkers think Trekkie is derogatory. Mother Trekker. I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just truckered me over, man. <laughs> <clears throat> but I think I fell in love. I, I don't believe in love in first sight, but That's awesome. I, it st- okay, here's the thing. New Hope and Star Trek 1 took me some time. Like, it took me, there was an adjustment period where I'm like, there's no chest bursters, you know, there's no, like, uh. which Which series did you start with? I started, I actually was alternating, so I did Star Trek 1, then I did New Hope, and then I did, oh, okay. and then I just kind of, to give wow. myself, uh, just to give myself some reprieve. But I just, by the time I got to 6, Star Trek 6, I was like, I love these movies! 
Like, I don't know they're why. They're good. But well, now I got to get back into those. Yeah, there's just Shatner. Gen- Generations, I thought, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's because, because Patrick Stewart. seven, I think. Because Patrick Stewart is a freaking actor. He's like, a real actor. And they got yeah. Malcolm McDowell, who was in Gladiator, was a villain in, in Generations. Mm-hmm. So they had Shatner, Malcolm McDowell. Ah, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Keep it on the topic, yeah. boys. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, how dare Thank you. you. No. Uh, whoa. No, we need that. We whoa. need that. Whoa, whoa. Well, just, otherwise, we're going to talk about the other shit for 30 well, minutes, and then he's going to cut it all out because it's going to be completely wrong. But I just want to tell the story that I went from being a novice to actually like falling in love with one of these franchises. And and yeah, I like Star Wars, but I just was like the soapiness, the comedy. And anytime Nimoy, Shatner, and Bones were in the same room, I was like, what are they going to say? Like, what's next? Like, what are they going to say? It's going to yeah. be awesome. So anyway, I, I came into this with new eyes, and I really, you know, in, in terms of the films, like J.J. Abrams is a guy, I think, if you think about who they asked to direct these reboots, he's a studio guy, he's a perfectionist. But do you guys think this, this is my experience, I'm like, they gave it to J.J. Abrams because oh, it was me. like, how can we minimize our risk opportunity to fuck this up? <laughs> Right. Let's give it to a studio guy who's going to take care of our money and not insult the fan bases in the worst way possible. Is that kind of? I mean, a, he's probably. such a fanboy himself. Like, yeah. At least, at least he was like a fan favorite of yeah. sci-fi franchises, like people that loved Alias mm-hmm. and Lost, and yeah. you know, like the person that really resonated with those TV shows were the same kind of people that resonated with these franchises. Yeah. So it was a no-brainer. Yeah. I, I have so many thoughts on the J.J. Abrams doing both movies thing. Yeah. Well, we have a category for that. Oh. Hell yeah. Mm. Yeah, anyway, thank you boys for for making me go through this exercise because I I ended up falling in love with a new franchise. Two of the best. Randos? Rando. Do we want to go? go. Rando. By the way, Rando would have been a great maybe race in Star Trek. I think you got Klingons, you got Randos, you got, (laughs) you know, Starfleet. Mm -hmm. All right, let's start with A Force Awake, uh, The Force Awakens. (laughs) Yeah. yeah A-Force. This, uh, Kyle is not a fan. Just any old Force Awakens. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Future the film. Thrust Force, the uh, G-Force. Uh-huh. The Force Awakens. The original Peter Mayhew, who played Chewie in all the original films, reprised the role for a few scenes. He had knee surgery. He's older. He's 7'2", and he has horrible knee problems. He could not do any of the action scenes, so they got another guy to do, who was 7 foot tall, 7 feet tall, to do the action scenes. But for the sentimental ones, the most important one being the first time that Han sees the Millennium Falcon. And that was apparently very emotional for everybody because apparently when they were making the old films, there was a lot of band that happened, a lot of humor that happened off set, and that's where the actors really connected. And so it wasn't just a like an emotional on-screen moment. It was a very emotional off-screen moment for them as well. True story about The Force Awakens. When I saw that in theaters, I had purposefully kept myself as far away from any chatter about the films or internet research Mm. about the films. So I didn't know. I knew that uh, Harrison Ford was in it at some point, but man, this is the lamest thing ever. When he and Chewie walked onto the Falcon for the first first time and he said chewy were home tears legit freaking tears dude i had so many chills moments like that Gosh. yeah and as a newbie i, I had I, I had just experienced these in a real way for the first time and i was even like wow like this is so monumental like oh, you, you know they they had to have this scene when he said when he said uh uh han solo just stole the millennium falcon that's when i got i was like yeah 
Oh, man. It's cool that they got Mayhew to, to reprise the sentimental roles. He's He was in bad shape. His knee, yeah, I think he had double knee replacement surgery right before. So anyway, awesome rando. Captain Phasma was a was originally written as a male, and they changed it to a girl. I really appreciated this because their goal with making her was that the tr her trooper outfit, the shiny one, did not have any feminine curves. Because mm -hmm. I think now, looking back, they, the over-sexualization of Princess Leia kind of played into it, you know? And and I think there there yeah, is in, that in Jedi with the with the uh, legendary bikini yes. outfit thing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I think they intentionally wanted to say we have a strong female character here, and we're not going to think about the curves. And it was a it was a masculine outfit to show that you know she had some power. And I actually really appreciated that and loved that. Um, even though I, I don't feel like her character was a huge impact on the film, but originally she was supposed to be a man, but they wanted to take a yeah. moment to you know inject some femininity into the. Also, I love who they casted for that. It's the the chick from Game of Thrones. Can't remember. Feel her name. Her in. I, I don't remember her name, but she's a really really outstanding actress. Yeah, and she was stoked to, uh, to do the role. This is kind of a sad thing and kind of an interesting thing. But Carrie Fisher hadn't acted, I think, in ten years, and apparently, and this is from her mouth. Like she says this on the special features. Her first day on set was a complete disaster. Yeah, I'm sure it's like a muscle. You either work yeah. it or you don't. And if you're out of well, practice, and, I mean, unfortunately for her, <laughs> drugs, and I, I think she lived fast and I, maybe things were getting to her, but I mean, she she said that her, I, I don't know that they had a usable take from day one. And eventually the next day, and she apologized to J.J. Abrams and it was it was all good and well, but... It's not like they can fire her. I mean, who the yeah. hell else is going to play Princess Leia? For his score in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, John Williams received his 50th Oscar nomination for scoring the film. Yeah, he's this done guy. something once or twice. He's like a punter in the NFL. Those guys can play till they're 50 and like, <laughs> there's nobody getting drafted until that punter yeah. literally, his leg Falls well, off. as long as I can kick it kind of toward the end zone, if your last name shape. is Williams or Zimmer, you're employed constantly. That's amazing. So true. Fiftieth. Oh, and that was in. 2014, he's probably gotten 10 more since then. Yeah. And yeah. according to my research, a lot of people think one of still one of his better. Like, they love this score. It's a beautiful score. I mean, honestly, as many mixed feelings as I have about the entire new trilogy, Ray's theme, her her musical theme in that movie is incredible. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like, just, uh, it, that is, like, so worthy of Star Wars. You gotta say that for both of these films, man. I, I actually was listening to the score to, for Star Trek prepping for this. I love both the scores mm -hmm. for all of these films. As I was rewatching the Force Awakens, um, I feel like I heard the Wilhelm scream really early on in that. Do you guys know what that is? Mm -mm. Uh -uh. It's this scream that has been used it, it's like become the ultimate Hollywood Easter egg. It's the same exact sample of a man screaming that has been used in, I mean, I would say hundreds of movies. Hmm. And it's always the same sample and guys hide it in the films. And I thought I heard it in the scene where uh, Poe and Finn were stealing the TIE fighter from the newer Star Destroyer thing and trying to get away. And I hmm. was pretty sure I heard the Wilhelm scream in there, <laughs> which anybody, you know, read it, feel free to... To that, I say a rando. Read all over Just myself. Just drop the Wilhelm scream in editing right now. Ah! It's not sure. hard to find. <laughs> when Finn and Ray ask Han if he is the Han Solo, he replies, I used to be, which is a reply Ford himself regularly uses when fans ask if he is Harrison Ford. <laughs> 
genius. Harrison Ford is a national treasure. Be, I also yes. heard he didn't want to do this movie. Yeah, he didn't. Nimoy didn't want to do Star Trek. I mean, there there was a lot of the old guard for both films were hesitant about having their... It was the first time, you know, he had played Spock in 18 years. Both sides, they were like really a lot of like trepidation about revisiting that old land. That makes know? sense. Yeah, but I totally you know, understand. Everybody has their number. I've heard that he cried when he watched this, which if mm -hmm. you didn't cry, you don't have a soul. It's true. I mean, you're the Harrison Ford fan. You've said that maybe he's your favorite actor. I mean, he's got fuck you status, right? Like with everything, fuck you I money. just think his catalog is extraordinary. Yes. I mean, he's Han Solo. He's, he's Indiana got Solo Jones. And Jones. He's Jack Ryan. He was in freaking what's the Vietnam movie? Apocalypse oh. Now. I mean, his his catalog is just unparalleled. Yeah, it's true. It's insane. So if if you if you ask if he's Harrison Ford, I, mean, I think how many he, times has he been the president? <laughs> In different movies. <laughs> Once, I think, in Air Force yeah, One. Yeah, Air Force One. <laughs> this was really interesting. One thing I said in the intro was is that I love how they kept these on rails with, you know, the sentiments of the franchises. But the new Lucasfilm president, Kathleen Kennedy, met a ton of directors. They were, to get to J.J. Abrams, they actually asked a ton of directors. One of them was David Fincher. They actually wanted David Fincher early hmm. on. Interesting. His point of view was too dark. He, he wanted to focus on how the films were really about slaves abandoning their masters who were in folly or he whatever. He would have tried to say too much. He would have. Also, what what was said in all my research is that he had a busy schedule, crazy asking price, and a very difficult reputation to deal with. You could sense that. He's a true artist. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he was... I call bullshit on most of that. You if think you're so? too busy for Star Wars, you're too fucking busy. Yeah, I don't know. I could see it. I could see he's an artist. I mean, he's... I don't he just know. didn't want to do it. I can't see it. Or they didn't it. want him to do it. And, and they were saving face. Can you imagine if he took this dark... <laughs> If he went like the Dark Knight on this. It would have been this. better than what happened after The Force Awakens. Oh! oh the Force sleeps. Yeah, The Force should have gone to sleep. <laughs> this is do Ryan Johnson movies next podcast. No, it's not. Ryan Johnson. He, he, he did the next two. The Last Jedi. Uh, For the next yes. middle one. I want to hear you two's feedback on this. So Mark Hamill, Luke, he was supposed to have a much bigger part in Force Awakens. But what was happening was in parts early on in filming, he would steal the spotlight. Because one of the big tensions on, they talk about in the special features was, how do we establish the these new characters and have that classical love that fans have for the original crew? How do we kind of start to reassert that for these new characters while kind of balancing how much the old characters are in the films? Apparently, every time Mark Hamill was on, because he's older, he had to lose 50 pounds for the role. He couldn't do a lot of action, but he kind of sucked up the spotlight. So literally, he shows up to do the table read, and that's when he discovers that his role had literally been cut down to what we saw, which was just the I end. heard that, yeah. And and I, I obviously, he conducted the entire day. So he narrated the table read from start to finish, which is cool. There's some special features that show him. That's amazing. Really cool. But I think he was surprised to think like I was supposed to be in at least, he was supposed to be in at least the final third act was supposed to have him predominantly. And then they cut it down to what we saw. Would you guys want to see him more? What do you um, think about the use of him? I think that is a loaded question because would I have wanted to see him more? Yes in a different context in different movies not the movies that got made so interesting true I actually liked the way that it ended I like the way it ended too it kind of left that one like him not appearing until the very end it was kind of like oh dear god when and she's, the way when he she's climbing up the mountain you're like oh we're finally gonna he's, we're gonna see him he's, he isn't because I was wondering the whole time like even as like a moderate fan at the time I was mm -hmm. like I, I hope we get to see Luke like yeah. surely we're gonna see Luke at some point and he just wasn't so finally when she's scaling up the mountain I was like oh he 
went to pursue the, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Like when she was crawling up there, I was like, oh, like that drama was building. And then, she, you know, he turned around. And Th that I thought was it was a good. cool payoff. Yeah. It was good. It's really hard for me now that time has gone on and other movies, have, movies in that trilogy have come out. It's really hard for me to separate The Force Awakens from the other two films. But if I'm able to do that, The Force Awakens executed that Luke scene really well. The follow-ups dropped the ball hard. The Force Awakens in and of itself, that the way they handled that was super cool, I thought. My biggest question as a new fan was, did we grow enough allegiance to Rey for her to be the person that discovers him? Like, is that a meaningful enough discovery from her character, someone that we're still... I think that was their way of jamming it in. Like, this is the character Passing you need to associate with Luke. Yeah, I think, once again, in a bubble, yes. But in the context of the other three films, absolutely not. I, I just kept thinking through this movie, I was like, the shadow is so big of these two franchises, like establishing new characters. Like, it's one advantage that Star Trek really had over The Force Awakens, which is they weren't establishing new characters. They were establishing earlier renditions where Star Wars was like, we have got to find a way to, we got to find a way to draw fans to these new folks who are going to yeah. carry it forward. Last rando for Star Wars, there were tons of unused sets and designs from the earlier films that they couldn't afford to actually execute in the early films. Um, one of those was the BB-8 ball droid. No way, that was yeah. a design Did from I say the earlier right? films? Yeah, BB-8. Yeah, you're good. Interesting. The, the BB-8 ball droid was an original, one of the original designs for R2-D2. So before they ever got to that final design, they wanted to do this ball droid, but they didn't have the technology to make it happen. So <laughs> That makes sense, yeah. I love that it's called a ball droid. I know, me too. It, that makes sense because what's funny about you saying that is as I was re-watching The Force Awakens, I was like, man, BB-8 is one of the few parts of this movie that feels authentic. It was my, one makes... of my favorite things. As a new fan, I was like, I really like that design. I have a nitpick about the ball droid. Okay, go ahead. First of all, how the hell does it work? His his head is magnetically suspended on top of it. There's a center core that projects magnetism up to his head. and it keeps Okay, fine. It I'll buy that. My second nitpick. Why is he not dirty? Mm. He should be filthy. Electrostatic. Yeah. Oh, he's self-cleansing? Yeah, he's, you know. <laughs> wow. <Okay>. I, <laughs> wow. Phil was ready with that. Okay, never mind. I'm, I'm in. I buy this, it. This is, if he is magnetized, why is he not drawing dust to himself like a balloon? You know, like when a balloon is like, it's static The middle part is, but have you ever used like a rinse aid in your dishwasher? It like coats your dishes with like basically Rain-X and mm. it like depolarizes the water and it just runs right off. Enneagram one fill. It's here. possible, guys. It's possible. This is where uh, this is where Phil the fan and Phil the apologist begins. Randos for Star Trek 2009. Leonard Nimoy hadn't played Spock in 18 years and it was an emotional experience so they actually they had approached Nimoy several times with what would become a reboot and he rejected it several times. It's not because he's a mean human. Apparently he's one of the most genteel, amazing humans I believe it. ever. But J.J. Um, Abrams finally went to him, and this is true if you think about this. He basically told Nimoy, he was like, we will rewrite this thing until you approve of it because we cannot do this reboot without you. If you're not in it, this will fail. Because they basically made the reveal of Spock Prime to be the crux of what would become the reboot. And so when he finally accepted it, he actually loved the script, accepted it, and it was re a real emotional experience for him. So I loved it. I love seeing him. And in fact, I was kind of sad that I got into these later because I immediately got retroactive sad that he had passed because I fell so in love with Spock as a character. I was like, oh, he's dead. Yeah, well, people die. <laughs>
Yeah, Vulcans. <laughs> Come on, he's great. That's oh, funny. All right, no emotions in Phil. I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is. Speaking of Spock, when J.J. Abrams read the script, he loved it. His biggest criticism were he didn't actually love Spock and Kirk being in it. Wait, so what? He, yeah, J.J. Abrams didn't love the idea originally of having Spock and Kirk in the reboot. He didn't want to build around them. He Why? wanted to build around. He wanted to build around other characters. At this point, though, the biggest fan criticism. This is coming from diehard Trekkers that he didn't. See Nemesis, which a lot of people think is essential viewing for the guy that would direct the reboot. Um, and they weren't, they were also not happy. They were not happy when they found out he didn't want Kirk and Spock in the reboot. So, well, for good reason. I yeah. mean, that's, but at the same time, here's the thing on a base level, that does bother me too, because they're a core aspect of Star Trek and the friendship, especially between Spock and Kirk, is, you know, kind of cornerstone of the whole franchise. But I always love to see what creators who have proven their metal, like guys like JJ. Abrams mm -hmm. would. There's a reason behind the fact that he didn't want to have them in the same film. So I would have loved to have seen his creative vision play out, even if it would have pissed off fans, whatever. It's just always interesting to see what happens when creators get to create. And obviously he was reined in there and it still worked. Do you think he has that level of pedigree? Serious question. J.J. Abrams? Yeah. Absolutely. I see him, I don't know why, but I see him as a studio guy. Although he's I, a stu he's a, but I feel like that's disrespectful to the vision that they still bring to things. I mean, Michael Bay gets the same kind of heat, but I Michael fucking Bay hate my Bay. <laughs> and a lot of people do. Yeah, that's a bad reference. <laughs> no, but you can't deny the fact that he has made a lot of iconic films and his style has opened up a lot of mm -hmm. things to a lot of different directors and he does the big budget thing really well. And you can hate him all you want, but at the end of the day, the guy makes really engaging films yeah. and so does J.J. Abrams. So it's yeah. like... I did he's, like he's, Cloverfield, which he didn't direct, but he wrote and I actually really enjoyed that as a horror fan. I thought that was really interesting. I will say yeah, it was Yeah, it was a cool concept. Mm -hmm. Shatner was also supposed to make a cameo here and that's all Abrams really wanted from him because mm -hmm. he talked to Shatner and Nimoy at the same time Shatner always had a huge ego and he oh, you can tell yeah and he I love him he's a good actor I think he deserves it in some ways but he basically in the old films was always talking to the directors and was mad when his even Nimoy even though they were friends he was always really upset when people had equal or more screen time with him yeah, that's and he would complain really. about it constantly and so whenever they came to negotiating with him to be in the new film because he died in Generations mm -hmm. and in Star Trek 7, it was really difficult to find a way to bring him back. And so they're like, we can give you a cameo. And it, it pissed him off because he was like, well, Nimoy's getting all this time. He's like, I want equal or more time with Nimoy in the remake. And they couldn't make it work. That's so, so they turned him away. Minded. That's lame. Yeah. That's real lame. Yeah, which is sad because I, after watching all these films, I really grew respect for him as an actor. Like, I really loved what he did. I see why he's such yeah, an he's icon. A, he's a good actor, but man, that attitude. Like, yeah. Come on. Dude. He's really charismatic. Yeah, and I think he, th I think he probably after Nimoy died, probably regrets some of that based on some of my research. Probably, probably had more respect than he let off. I just think he has an ego. The dude built a career on one of the most iconic roles that spanned decades. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I think he. It's had, cool that he feels like a, you know, being an older man feels like a dick after one of his best friends died. I know. He was instead petty about his screen time instead of just getting to share that moment with one of his best friends. Cool shit there. It's like a wide receiver not getting yeah, up. I want to catch the ball. It's like Terrell Owens back in the day. Um, <laughs> Yo. I know we have a ton of sports fans also being Star Wars fans here. Yeah, that's right. Goes <laughs> hand in hand. <laughs>
<laughs> Talk about an awkward rando. Matt Damon heard that he was being considered to play Kirk, called Abrams, and Abrams had to tell him, no, I don't know where you Ooh. heard that. <laughs> oh, awkward. <laughs> Too yeah. old. Uh, and uh, some other considerations were Gary Sinise and James Marsden to play McCoy, also too old to Damon was him. too old in 2009? Yeah, Marsden was too old. I could see both of those working. Too much Matt Damon. Can we be real? It's just too much Matt Damon out there. Bones was always older than all of them, though. Wasn't that the thing? I don't know if he technically was, but he his persona was always older. Yeah. He always looked and felt and sounded older. But I don't know. For, that for what it's worth, I love the dude they casted. I thought he Chris was Chris Pine? No, as Bones. Oh, Bones, sorry. Yeah, Chris, Chris Pine was great too. I thought he was good, but I, I think they I think they subtly muted him a little bit because I, I think they knew that DeForest Kelly was hard to... Bones is my... He's my favorite. I just... Yeah. He is my... After watching all of them, I just... God well, damn it, Jim! He's, he's the... I mean, he's he's a lot of the comedic relief in those, in those films. And he's got these go-to lines. So, oh, yeah. You know, but they're recasting giants every role for Star Trek and Star Wars. I mean, imagine recasting any of them. That is a... It's big true. ask. Uh, shout out to George Kirk, played by Chris Hemsworth, pre-Thor. Yeah. Anybody else catch that? I did, actually. Watch? I was like, oh my God, it's Thor. My <laughs> wife caught that. She was like, oh my God, it's Thor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's funny is it, it occurred to me I hadn't seen this movie since I had seen any Thor film. Like, yeah. this came out in 09, so I watched the first Thor come out. It came out in 12 or whatever. But I didn't connect then that that was a dude from the whatever. He's so obscenely jacked in Thor versus Yeah. Although Star he looks so much like Chris Pine in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, it's wild. I have a rando. Zoe Saldana reportedly had never seen a single Star Trek movie while filming or before filming Star Trek. I kind of love that. Despite having played a massive of Star Trek fan in Steven Spielberg's The Terminal. No, I, I actually love that mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. And this goes also back to like, I think there's a psychological thing that happens when you start putting expectations on yourself based on your perception of other people's deliveries of things, blah, 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 mm -hmm. on and on. I kind of love that she never watched another Star Trek film. So she just got to play a person in a universe and mm -hmm. wasn't playing somebody's expectation of a person in a universe. So I, I personally, I think that's super cool. But she's an interesting figure too. Just She's been in like I think three or four of the most viewed movies of all time. Amazing. Because she was in Avatar and then she was in Infinity War. She's so good. She was in Endgame and then she was in Star Trek. So she's got, she's just like the box office queen now that's kind of her reputation yeah. in Hollywood. You know, and one thing I've learned, there are a lot of movie fans and I've learned this mostly through our, our TikTok following is that- I didn't realize there were so many movie fans. There are. People like movies apparently. They do. <laughs> apparently it's not just us three. But there are a lot of people that are very critical of of over preparation like whenever we we talk about on the podcast like De Niro driving the cab or people like Daniel Day-Lewis being whoever his character is for a year people while filming. People are critical of us doing that? No, they're critical of the actor, not us. They don't care about us. But back but on the other side of it, there are moments in cinema where the opposite of preparation actually helped like Christopher Nolan, everyone thinks that like Inception was this deep psychological study. He did zero research on dreams, psychology. Like he wanted to go in just creatively. Yeah. And I, I think there's something to be said for that as an equally good strategy yes. as no, an artist. Well, here's what it is. It's situational. Casting some blanket of judgment over whether or not somebody prepares too much or doesn't mm -hmm. prepare enough, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. Did you like the end result? 
Amen. That's all that fucking matters. Did you like Interstellar or didn't Amen. you? If you didn't, then fine. That's great. But don't criticize the preparation. Right. Because if the, the movie was well-received, Star Trek, well-received. Taxi Driver, well-received. People love those movies. So it's like getting down to the nitty-gritty of whether or not somebody did or didn't prepare too much doesn't fucking matter because all that matters is the outcome. Yeah. You're going to criticize the flower and the fucking birthday <laughs> cake you eat? I love this birthday cake, but I really wish they'd used unenriched, unbleached flour. Yeah, okay. Well, did you like the fucking cake or not? <laughs> do, you, do you need a moment? Do you need to cool down? Start the gray van and drive away. <laughs> uh, it's dark blue, actually. Oh, Whatever color it you is. You guys have made me bronchial a lot today. I literally, my lungs are hurting. Casting considerations. Captain Kirk, Chris Pratt, Joshua Jackson, and Mike Vogel. Mm -hmm. I don't know who either of those... Joshua Jackson? Joshua, he's a... Mighty Ducks. Yeah, dude from Fringe, the show Fringe. He dipped out for a while. But Sorry, yeah. not a big Ducks and Fringe guy. I don't know. Yeah. Come on, man! You don't like Fringe mm. Ducks? What the hell? <laughs> and you're going to dig this, even though it totally wouldn't have worked. Adrian Brody is Spock. Yeah, no. Love the guy, though. Uh, Love Adrian like Brody, that. not as Spock. Peaky Blinders, though. Oh, my oh, gosh. Oh, dude. His Italian. Can you do his Italian accent real quick? He can't even do his Italian accent. Yeah, but you accent. do it better than he does. What is it? I, it's been a while. All right. Yeah. Work on it. Get, do it. Work that in. Let's war. Let's yeah. war. Choo -choo, choo -choo, choo. All right. Let's intergalactically war. Hit the turbo lasers. Hey, uh, Drew, get out the, uh, the iPad. And give me some top bill cast, please. All right, mm. top bill cast for Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. Oh my God. Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac versus Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, and Simon Pegg. It's a lot of big stars not on that list. Phil, what do you think? I have to give a shout out to John Boyega, and here is why. I was re-watching that movie, and when you've watched a movie enough times, the closest lifer thing I will get to in, in my life and viewing of movies is Star Wars. So regardless of whether or not I like the new trilogy, I've watched all of them multiple times. And watching it for this podcast, like having, you know, I know what's happening. I've seen the scenes. I got to like watch the performances, and man, one thing that John Boyega did really well was his conveyance of emotions through his eyes, which to me is a huge thing when you watch actors perform anywhere is like, are they selling the emotional aspect? And one thing I noticed with him is every time that dude sold the emotions. So I was just really blown away by his performances in that movie. That said, I go Star Trek. Wow. Wow. Left turn there at the end. Yeah, wow. hard left turn. I just think the star power <laughs> in that cast was way stronger. Force Awakens purposefully, again, used a cast of unknowns because that's kind of the Star Wars thing. Mm -hmm. And for that, I think possibly the perception of it suffered a bit. I don't know. Because um, people like going to movies and seeing star power and I could disagree right. with myself tomorrow when I'm editing this, but whatever. I mean, the Chris Pine thing and, uh, with Zachary Quinto and everybody, they were incredible. And I thought they really delivered a great performance and resurrected some beloved characters and did them justice. Well, so that's why I go Star Trek. I think, yeah, I think that's an in that's a important point to bring out in this category is the this cast, they were trying to play characters that had already been universally beloved. So that's a far greater task than to create a new thing. So I think Chris Pine and Quinto, like they were, I think they did justice for sure. Uh, they were great. And they were, well, Chris was already a star in his own right, but I emotionally connect more to the new trio in Force Awakens just because there's a relatability to Ridley and Boyega. They all feel like kind of this just like ragtag team of scrubs. They do, like, yeah. Like you believe that Boyega was like a, a stormtrooper who didn't want to be a stormtrooper 
Huber. Like you believe yeah. that Daisy Ridley as she's sledding down the sand hill and trying to sell her whatever for a quarter, quarter portion or whatever. Like she's just trying to make ends meet. Like there's a relatability to these people that, you know, I, I just resonate with. So I'll go with Star Wars. Really great analysis. I, I actually dreaded this category more than all of them because I, I have to be honest, I wasn't really stoked about either of these casts. Um, I But I did go in thinking, so this is how I measured this, this category. Who was asked to do the biggest thing? Because we have two incredibly loved franchises, big, a lot of burden on the director to, to deliver. A lot of bourbon on the director. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of bourbon on me. Yeah. That's a heavy bourbon. On my breath. <laughs> I kind of went in thinking The Force Awakens got a bogey because they had the entire original cast and Star Trek just had Nimoy and I thought that was going to be like a, like, you know, oh, well, they're going to have the old folks so they're just going to automatically win easy. But honestly, after I watched the special features and they talked about how they had to really strive, strike a balance to like not let them overshadow this new trio, they did a better job of that than Star Trek taking old characters. I just, and listen, I'm very fresh. I just watched all the Star Trek movies and then watched the new one within a week of each other. I did didn't see the old characters and these new actors playing the old versions of them. I, I thought Spock was overly emotional in areas where Spock, the old Spock was never that emotional in the films. I thought Shatner, you know, Shatner and Chris Pine talks about this. They didn't direct him to speak like Shatner. They were just like, that would be an insult. No one speaks like Shatner. He exactly. has a very specific pattern. But see, I loved Pine's delivery. See, I didn't he love it. He was so like, he was, he played the cocky but still kind of not mm. sure because he's young. I, I loved I that was such a perfect delivery to me I I don't agree I mean I'm, I'm you know Fuck you, I, I appreciate your opinion <laughs> there was nothing and there was not enough in Star Trek to make me think that these were young versions of the characters I'd grown to love and I, I do give it to the force awakenings I do think even though I didn't love any of the actors other than the old crew I do think they had a bigger ask and they succeeded more in making sure that we paid attention to these new characters and didn't just wait for sure, the for, old fair crew. enough so I give it to, <laughs> I give it to the, the force bigger ask Bigger yeah. ask. Huge ask. So The Force Awakens. Boyega's emotional performance, though, was really... I, I really enjoyed that in this current watch. Yeah, I, I thought it was it, great. I thought it was good. And, and they talk about how they one of the biggest difference makers in this, because a lot of people say that this is too much like the New Hope. I mean, it is. It's the same. A movie. New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> It's too much like a new hope. A Force Awakens and the new. I'm really yeah. worried. I'm the the definite articles are killing me. It's the same <laughs> fucking movie. But yeah, the biggest differentiator. You bite your tongue. The biggest differentiator. Divi Inchi Ater. <laughs> I think our house is drunk. Chris, I'm a Mr. Ratchmater. Three to four. What's a point? Yeah, because makes much punch. This is newborn sleep. Pressline negotiator. God, I'm sorry. And so when he puts effect to this is buzzed and three to four hours of sleep for a week. The biggest differentiator from the old franchise was we got to put a face on a stormtrooper. And I do think Boyega does a great job of that. So I do I do give it to him for that. I'm still not like, wow, amazing actor. Just going to be honest. I think Kyle went into Star Wars not wanting to like it, I'll be honest. You think that? Really? I but I did like it. It felt like you were like, I'm going to like Star Trek more. I didn't know. I yeah. I, I went in blindly. Right. I, okay, I, I had a very, it was a very Yeah, I don't even, believe you. No one believes you. But, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I will give you credit for your Star Wars, observations. Star Wars, I got to move on. Once I fell in love with Star Trek, it 
was difficult because I was alternating between yeah, them. Okay. So you're right. Once I did, I went in with a blank slate, but once I yeah, I got Star slate, Trek. With a little bit of Star Trek dust on it. Yeah, once I got into the Star Trek, I did. It, it is hard to eliminate that The bias. Star Trek? Yeah. The Star Trek. A Star Trek. Best supporting cast. The Force Awakens. I'm, I'm just going to rattle off anybody that I think is relevant here. Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Adam Driver, Andy Serkis, Anthony Daniels, Max von Sydow, Peter Mayhew. Simon Pegg is in that movie too. He's one of the... He I plays love, Uncar I love Plot. Simon Pegg. Me too. Uh, fascinating. Uh, and then Star Trek. Leonard Nimoy, Eric Bana, Bruce Greenwood, Carl Urban as Bones, Zoe Saldana, and uh, Winona Ryder, and Chris Hemsworth. Phil. What do you think, Phil? Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Is that your final answer? <laughs> yes. Very insightful. When Thank you're you. when your supporting cast is Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill, you win. When that's not even your main cast. You mean just by reading uh, just by reading it on paper? Yeah, okay. doesn't matter. Okay. Like so, performances aside, they just roll their helmets on the field and win the game. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. True. I think, I mean, there's a lot of great performances here in both. I really like, let's just touch on a few. Eric Bana in Star Trek. I didn't realize that was Eric Bana until I dove into some special features. I had no fucking clue that was Eric Bana. Same. And I've seen a lot of Eric Bana movies. Like, he, that was a very convincing He was good. Far better than the Hulk. I mean, Nimoy, he's a legend. You got to appreciate him. Bruce Greenwood. I found myself watching Bruce Greenwood thinking like, this guy's got to be a superstar. He feels like that super fan famous guy that mm. just would be in a movie series that you just haven't gotten around to watching yet. Almost, he's got to be someone huge. He's not, but he's really, really good. Like, he just brings, like, this, like, gravity that I appreciate. I really liked. Hemsworth, shout out. That said, <laughs> Star Wars. It's hard to not go Star Wars. I'm not going to but I definitely will throw over the ledge uh, The Force Awakens. Yeah, I... TFA. I think they had a big ask bringing this old cast... <laughs> Big ask. <laughs> I thought they delivered. I, yeah. I I was fearful that it was going to be a crutch. And I really don't think... The fact that J.J. Abrams, like, after I researched that, he was just like, we don't need Shatner. Like, he, we don't have to give him his little cameo. If he wants to be a dick, he doesn't have to be in the movie. That showed me that he didn't view these old-timers as a crutch. And he really wanted to develop new yes. Well, he was trying stories. to honor... I think in both films, yeah. he was really trying to honor the series. And by allowing those older characters to come back, he, that was his way of doing it. But yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I yeah. Yeah, I think you. he I think he did a great job with that in, in the Force Awakens. I think John Jacob Abrams. Nobody in Star Trek is that what it is? No, I don't. Probably okay. Know. I, no I thought it was Jason Jason. Well, I'll, shout out to Adam Driver, by the way. We haven't talked enough about yeah. him. Yeah. I thought he was great. He was. It occurred to me on this last viewing how much his facial structure looks like Harrison Ford. Like, I mm -hmm. really believed him specifically in this viewing of, yeah, totally. as Harrison Ford's son, for whatever reason. And I just believed him as, like, that wayward son. You know, sometimes kids just kind of get away. And just yeah. they just kind of blaze their own trail. And they want to do the opposite of the family, kind of the party. They want to start an the entire new empire yeah. and destroy planets. Yeah, that shit a, happens. <laughs> with a weapon that sucks up a whole sun. Very common. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean... Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you guys. I, I actually thought he may have been one of the best actors in that movie, and it's because I really... Once he got the helmet off... He's a phenomenal actor, in my opinion. Yeah, and he... The the lost youth aspect of who he is as mm. as the son, I actually thought he seemed like a lost youth in a lot of ways. Like, he was he was in the darkness, but he was searching for... Well, he, like, I he, believed him a lot more as their son than I believed Harrison 
Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher as his, their, his parents. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. Well, another, uh, going with the lost son thing, he throws some temper tantrums that are just unbefitting of the, a leader of like one of the biggest military forces in the universe. He gets bad news and he just destroys an entire deck of a freaking Star Destroyer with his lightsaber, just throws a temper tantrum and flips yeah. out. So there is a lot of like, you can tell just rejection stuff going on there. So was that a, a three straight for uh, Force Awakens? Yeah. All three of us? Wow. All right, here we go. This is a, a really good category. JJ versus JJ. Oh, shot. Drew, why don't you kick us off on this one? JJ versus JJ. It's tough not to give this one to Star Trek just because this was his first out. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> It's time Sting. to do. Oh, sorry, I have, my, your- I have my IMD pulled up. IMD. Yeah. <laughs> I got my. D- <laughs> IMD, are you D? I thought that was your reminder to take your heart medication. No, I've got my. <laughs> I've got my IMDb pulled up, and there's a drug. just edit that shit out. Is it just me that's it. drunk, or is that I'm your third? Drunk? Are Thanks you so. drunk? Oh, okay. Nothing I'm better than talking about the two greatest space franchises ever while kind of buzzing. <laughs> I love Trar Stack and Trar War Stores. <laughs> what was the question? JJ versus JJ. <laughs> okay. I could make a case either way. Let me make the case for the first one. Star Trek. He's coming off Alias and Lost. And he is at the height of... He's kind of like at his apex, I think. And I think it's just a phenomenal movie. Like, I think nobody thought he could do what he did. Everybody and their mother walked into Star Trek like, here we go, oh boy, like trying to blow the cobwebs in the dust off of this old, you know, whatever. And it was fucking awesome. It really was. Star Wars, it was like, okay, what's, you know, Abrams was trying to repeat, like, we know you did Star Trek, you know what, you like, you have quite a track record, this is gonna suck though, because it's Star Wars and you're not gonna be able to, and it was actually really good. So both, I could see both. I, I think for me personally, because obviously I'm more inclined to say Star Wars, I'm going to say the other one because I would have liked Star Wars probably either way. Whereas Star Trek, if it was not even close to being good, I would hate it. So wait, that didn't make sense. If it was like kind of good, I would have hated it. So I'll go Star Trek. Man, I also go Star Trek here. I just think head to head, it was a better movie. Like you could watch Star Trek 09 without having seen anything else. And you understand what the movie's about. You understand the origin story of Kirk. You understand what's on the line with the Enterprise. You understand the Federation. And you understand the multiple races, all in one. You understand the Spock connection. Like he took a very, what is honestly a more complicated universe than Star Wars and distilled it into a singular movie that was super engaging, charming as hell, and really damn good. And to me that I, like my wife and I were watching Star Trek just blown away at what just, what a good movie it was. Mm-hmm. Like it had all the elements of something you would just want to watch. Whereas Star Star Wars, I feel like there's more gravitas with that franchise and diving into it. And like you said, kind of being seen as a retread of like, oh, you already did Star Trek and here you are doing Star Wars. It felt more, it felt more legacy. Like mm-hmm. it's like an ode to, an homage to, or Star yeah. Trek, it was like. Yeah, and I feel like that's how a lot of people came into Star Trek, but like with Star Wars, there's that pressure of delivering on a level that nothing can ever deliver on because you're not only dealing with an original trilogy filled with an insane amount of nostalgia and in decades of making, of kind of like amplifying the greatness of something in retrospect, but you're also dealing with the failure of three previous movies that had been made by the creator of Star Wars, and those have been utter disasters. So you kind of have to tap into the bag of tricks with The Force Awakens 
and he did. It's in a lot of ways very, very similar in progression and story and execution to A New Hope. So for that reason, I think he absolutely knocked it out of the park with Star Trek 09. What do you think, Kyle? <sighs> well, this is my own category, and I'm as you guys are talking, I, I still can't decide. It's tough. I am going to go Star Trek. I do think because it was in 09. and uh, you that know, year, yes. He has, well, he you know, he's building into a career, and he has a lot of success. I, I am going to go Star Trek here, and I do want to note that even though you think I'm a Star Trek lifer all of a sudden, I did vote <laughs> Star Trek, Star same. Wars the first two times. But I do go this, in 2009, you know, most people still only know him by Lost, even though he'd been in Hollywood for years and has done a lot of work. He really was responsible for taking these beloved characters and doing these young versions. And although I don't think they fully hit the mark, there are upgrades to that film that are nice. And they're not out of the lure. Like, I don't know if you noticed with the, uh, what is it called, the phaser guns? Mm -hmm. I like the little upgrade because the phaser guns always annoy me in Star Trek. I love I love it until they do a phaser and it's totally fake and it like it's like a, so a soft laser but it annihilates someone. I do like the new guns. and The, the phasers in OG Star Trek also look like Wii controllers. Yes. Like just not yes. very intimidating I, at all. I thought the action in Star Trek was subtle enough to be a casual upgrade but didn't derail the whole series. So I actually do give it to Star Trek uh, for that reason. So Boom. Yeah. So it's two to it's two to one, The Force Awakens. All right, here's our first bro category. Brodegory. Most awkward meeting, Spock meeting Spock Prime or Princess Leia and Han meeting. Awkward? Yeah, well, I mean, well, think about it. If you're Princess Leia and Han, you know your son is going to be the next Darth Vader. So, oh, well, I'm going to say the most awkward is the Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher scene. That was hard to watch. Because he's all like, you know, he's like, ah, you changed your hair. And she's like, ah, same vest. I mean, imagine. Like, Actually, it's a new jacket. Yeah. Or whatever. Going back to speed, relationships built in tension or something will never work. Whatever that quote was at the end of the nice movie. Nice callback. When, when uh, they're hang laying on top of each other after all the shit it blew up and all. It's like, like, we'll just have a lot of sex then. I felt like the baggage of decades of relationship and hardship and, and fighting wars and destroying Death Stars was conveyed in that scene and it was awkward as hell. I still hear things. See, I, I just, kept thinking about them as actors. Mm. Me like too. Them, I just kept thinking about them standing there thinking about what their life was like 40, 50 years ago when they were working together. That and then, too. And that's probably just me as a fan bringing a lot to it that didn't exist that was like trying to justify why it felt wonky to me. But yeah, it didn't It didn't play for me. There were a lot of moments in that movie that did play for me. None of them had anything to do with Carrie Fisher, sadly. So I'm going to go with, I guess the least awkward would be Star, Star Trek. Trek. Agreed. Because yeah. I really, I, I, I'm not even a Trek fan, so to speak, but I really was moved by the Nimoy mm -hmm. stuff when he was like, you know, it would be self-involved for me to say, for my, I don't even know how he said it, but he was, he was supposed to say, live long and prosper. But he said something like, it would be something of me to say what my people typically say in this situation. So I'm going to say like, good luck or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that just, it was just well written and it felt or like, it felt like something he would say. It was so, good. Yeah. Anyway, what do you think, Phil? Uh, I, I agree. I think that... The, both the actor level of the Star Wars thing and the uh, in-character level of it was awkward for all the right and possibly the wrong reasons. And I didn't feel like the meeting with old Spock and young Spock was really that awkward. It was just, I mean, imagine if you met your old self in the future or whatever. Like, it would be weird and disconcerting, but I don't know that it would be awkward. I'd be like, bro, stop eating the Totino's pizzas. I know they're 99 cents, but you don't need to eat one for dinner every night. I think they used to be nine. Is anything 99 cents anymore? Nothing. Maybe Totino's pizzas. I totally agree. And, and Drew, you said exactly what I wanted to say. It was 
was hard because these are legends playing their old iconic roles. It was hard not to zoom in at the actor level. And it just felt like, and God bless her soul. I know she's gone. I just felt like Carrie Fisher had nothing in the tank acting wise. Like you could tell they minimized her role. You can tell they were not giving her as many lines. That she, and she even talked about struggling in the special features. It just was hard to watch. <sighs> yeah. And in all of those actors' defense, it felt a little late. Their first movie came out in 77. Really, they should have brought them back at the Phantom Menace days. Like, what, are the, what the later? fuck are they bringing them back in later. 2014? Like, I they don't know. should have, man, but it, it Lucas just wanted a little... to tell a kid's story. And that's why Disney bought it. It was a cash shit. grab. And I, I mean, I understand why it would be frustrating as those actors to like be called back at those days. Like, really? Like, those, think about, Carrie Fisher probably would have killed to get that call in 1998 or even 2006. Totally. Or 2009. But 2014, like, she's at the end of her life. It's like, really now? Yeah. Like, when I've kind of like retired Tired and like I'm can't really put together. I got sentences. a lot of health issues and like it's so true. It's just it's a bummer the way it all worked out for them. That's hard. And and the fact that there's editing and there's production happening and they still can't extinguish that weird vibe. You know what I mean? Like in post-production, they, I mean, hell, in, in Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy, because he's older, they did CGI on his mouth to help keep, just make sure his mouth looked like he was saying what he was saying because he was older. Like they didn't do any of that shit for <laughs> Carrie Fisher. It's just awkward. Yeah. Have you watched Rogue One yet? No. Oh, just wait. Oh, God. See, well, I was going to say, CGI. have you watched Rise of Skywalker yet? Not yet. That's no. where it gets crazy with Carrie. All right. It is three to two the force awakens so here we go best fashion yeah. i <gasps> think the star trek federation uniforms are clean as hell hell yeah i agree those uniforms are just freaking sharp clean i love them i want that to be my permanent halloween costume i also love and i'm just gonna go and say it because i want to build on your comments it's star trek and i want to say that i love how the uniforms are so distinct that when you're watching it only takes you half a second it, you can identify whether it's a Generations episode or movie or an older one just uh, based on the uniforms. I just love and the symbol, the visual like the recognition crest, a- yeah. aspect. It's the so crest clean. on the chest and the and the uniforms are so clean. I just love that clean aspect of Star Trek. And I do want to say, and I'm just going to go ahead and go second here. I love in the older Star Treks how they had nightwear <laughs> on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that Shatner would have like robes on? <laughs> Like when it was wine time. Like, yeah, they're in outer space, but I'm going to wear linens. Yeah. <laughs> He's like wearing velvet. That's one weird thing about Star Trek. It's like oddly tied to Earth culture in a yes. weird way. Like yeah. randomly they'll just be in New York or whatever. It's like, what the fuck is happening? I love that. I, I do like though, I will say, even though I'm going Star Trek, I do like it in The Force Awakens and all Star Wars films, how like the creatures have fashion too. Like they do, they're yeah. wearing jackets and vests. Mm-hmm. and Yeah. Anyway, Drew. Nothing is cooler than the Rebels slash or the uh, Empire armor, Stormtroopers, Darth yeah. Vader, Kylo Ren. That you, nothing is cooler slash more iconic to me in sci-fi than the Stormtrooper. So agreed. It Star is very Star iconic. Wars. Easy. That's true. I mean, I went actual fashion. But you're talking about recognition. Fa- I mean, the yeah, Storm- I went actual fashion. Like, which would I rather wear? Yeah. <laughs> You're right. The Stormtrooper is so... Like, if you've never seen a Star Wars movie, you see a Stormtrooper, you can still say, that's Star Wars. Like, it's that... It's true. It's that recognizable, and that's incredible. Wow, three to three. All right, I love this category. The best dating scene. Hmm, Drew. Best dating scene? Yeah, you're gonna date? Is this based on any... I I guess I'll go Star Wars just because there's a cantina scene in every movie. Yeah. Are you talking about actual scenery? Like, where where would be the best place to go? 
single and you're ready to mingle, where do you want to be? I want to go to Maz's bar and pick up a weird alien chick. Okay. Easy. Yeah. Man, I'm going to go Star Trek again here just because, <laughs> like, I feel like you could go on the holodeck of the Enterprise and have a date wherever you want. Um, you can go to one of their clean-ass bars or restaurants or whatever on the Enterprise where everything's just sleek as fuck, you know? You know, I got to I gotta <laughs> put my own dating life into this because, you know, I've, I dated one girl before I met my wife. I was never much for relationships. It feels like being contained on a ship on the Enterprise for long periods of time, people would just have to, like, be worn down by my personality because my looks aren't that great. <laughs> well, dude, it's like so you're it's a five like, on Earth and a ten on the Enterprise. Yes, there ex you go. exactly. You yeah. are right there. That's better than I could have ever said it. <laughs> I am a five on Earth, but you get stuck on me with a ship for five years in light years. All of a sudden, Kyle ain't looking so bad. He's funny. He's He has good taste. Like, if we were on Earth, he would take me to a great restaurant. Oh, that's really funny. So I, I, I honestly think personally, dating scene to me means where am I most valuable? Like, where do I have the biggest chance? It's Enterprise. Because <laughs> Star Wars, you're just all over. You're going to new planets. I got to make yeah. new relationships. I got to make a good first impression. I'm not, I'm yeah. just nervous, you know, so. Like, whereas here on Earth, we judge things by like neighborhoods. Like, well, this neighborhood's not great, but this neighborhood's really nice. They're judging whole planets like, oh, Jack who? Like, oh Fuck my. that place. <laughs> the whole planet blows. There's not like a good neighborhood on all of Jack who, you know? There are inter, there are dust storms on this entire Western hemisphere yeah. of this planet. Like, stay away from there. The bad schools. Over there in Cyclone Alley on yeah. Jupiter, you know, four to three. Star Trek making a little bit of a comeback here. All right, we got two categories left here. The Millennium Falcon versus the Enterprise. We're talking like ships how here. so? Whatever comes to mind. Just ships in this movie. You're creative. <laughs> ooh, ooh. <laughs> I had two, I'll dick. start. I okay. had two awesome moments with both of these ships. When he first ran up to the ship uh, in Star Trek and saw them like kind of building Enterprise, that I got chills. Like ooh, it was just like, wow. Same. I just felt like kind of in awe of the lore of mm -hmm. it all. Same with in Force Awakens just when Han Solo was like, Han Solo just stole the Millennium Falcon. Like, I just felt it escorted me back to the lore of Star Wars, which is best. I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'll say uh, I'll say Millennium Falcon because I'm wearing a Millennium Falcon t-shirt okay. right now. Yeah, it is kismet. Oh, um, man. This might be the most difficult one I ever have to answer for so many reasons. It's like I, through different parts of my life, have, like, fantasized about being on both of these ships, like, for real and how awesome it would yeah. be. Like, man, the wow, really? Film. Yeah, I just, I think it would be so cool. Like, because you can picture yourself in these different places in these, like, crazy environments. And I always thought it would be so cool for, like, your home to basically be this clunky-ass Corellian, like, cargo ship, essentially, is what the Millennium Falcon is. And they'd that needs fixed it. all the time. Yeah, they'd outfitted it to be their their home. Like, they lived there for years. It's like a makeshift smuggled. yacht or, like, a carnival cruise. Yeah. Like, those are, like, the... Yeah, it's, like, it's just such an interesting environment to, like, spend time and you got your buddy on board and like you mm -hmm. got your little weird creature chess table thing like what a cool place but then the enterprise is is literally made to be a home in outer space it's the flagship of the federation it's the most powerful vessel or the most versatile vessel that the federation has they're both so incredible but i think i think most people could look at either of them and say what it is but for iconicness the sound of it the look of it and just just the ragtag nature of it, the Millennium Falcon wins. Actually, Which one would I rather be on? The Enterprise all day yeah. long. However... It breaks down less. Just, yeah. I mean, like, iconicness, the mm -hmm. Falcon, the Falcon. I'm going to zoom in on just these two movies. You know, the thing is, is that both of these ships are so iconic. 
I do think this is maybe the weakest point of Star Trek. Anybody that watches Star Trek knows any of the old movies that Kirk has a relationship with the Enterprise. And, and the theme of some of the early on movies, especially in that one to four range of the first four Star Treks, it's Kirk not being able to be on the ship or the ship has been, been decommissioned and he, he's distant from the ship. Like the ship's relationship with Kirk drives so much. But I never got the, I don't know about you guys, but I never got the impression that the ship was so important him, even though it's early, like they missed an opportunity to reinforce that Kirk, the whole Star Trek thing with Kirk is his relationship with the Enterprise. Other than us seeing the outside view of the Enterprise where it zooms in and says USS Enterprise, I never got the impression that going forward, and all it would have take was one scene. I just wanted to be reminded that Kirk is in love with the ship, that being the captain or the admiral, or the admiral of the ship is That's his life. Point. Whereas if J.J. Abrams capitalized on anything in Star Wars, the Force Awakens, it's the moment where Chewbacca and where uh, Han Solo go back onto the Falcon. That moment was the best moment in the movie and it was so sentimental, even as a new person. I think Abrams knew that had to be a big moment. For some reason, he missed that in Star Trek. So mm. if you're looking at these two movies and the way they were utilized, I'm going The Force Awakens. TFA. What did you think? You were a Star Trek fan way before I was. I mean, don't you feel like that's one weird thing they didn't do in the reboot was really show that, at least show in the future that this ship is the most important thing to Kirk ever. I didn't think it was necessary in that movie because I think it was establishing kind of how he became the the guy for the Enterprise. Like it was the origin story of Kirk and the Enterprise. Really Kirk and Spock more than probably anything is what they focused on. Well, even the Enterprise though, because it shows yeah. how he took it over. It shows how like he kind of worked his way to the captain's chair of that ship just by, you know, virtue of being one of the most daring people on board and, you know. Brave, cunning. And also the way like Pike hands, uh, makes him first officer and then Pike goes down and he ends up becoming the dude mm -hmm. for the ship. So I didn't think it was that important for it to be shown that it was it was like the most important thing in Kirk's life yet because it wasn't established yet. Right. The movie was literally it's, the origin it's story. It's the difference between the origin story and like homage and Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just... Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I just feel like the Enterprise is the lifeblood of so much. And the, the fact that even in Seven, you know, Patrick Stewart takes it over. I don't know. But I see what you guys are saying, for sure. It is tied. Man, we've been getting us some ties lately, which no, which... That means we picked good movies and we uh, have a good scorecard. Tie fighter. Tie fighter. All right, this is the one category where we're going to take all the entire franchises into consideration. I call this category, did we need the fucking reboot? As in, which franchise needed this new movie the most? I feel like there's no right answer here without pissing people off, but I think the franchise that needed the reboot the most was Star Trek because Star mm. Wars has never really waned in popularity since the 70s. I'm sure it's had its years here and there or like sales of this merchandise were down or interest in this was down. But like ever since I'd say the mid to late 90s, people have just loved Star Wars. And I feel like taking on a, like an essentially a reboot or a new trilogy of Star Wars has a lot more consequences involved than taking on essentially a reboot of the original concept of Star Trek, which was Kirk and the Enterprise. And I feel like Star Trek was kind of falling off a bit and the Star Trek 09 movie was necessary to keep, to introduce Star Trek to a new generation, modernize it heavily, take some of like the cheesy, unbelievable, poor special effects of the originals and bring them into the future. 
and kind of create a Star Trek for a younger generation of people. And uh, so therefore, I feel like Star Trek needed the reboot versus okay. Star Wars. You're just kind of walking into a lose-lose situation with those movies. Interesting. So, so you went Star Trek. Star Trek. Really sure. interesting. Great, great points. I feel like with The Force Awakens, it was more like J.J. Abrams' grandmother took off the necklace and handed it to him to wear. Whereas with Star Trek, it was like he went up to his grandmother's attic and like dug out a box that was really full of cobwebs and like had to blow off the dust. So I agree with Phil. Like it felt like Star Wars is Star Wars and it lived on through decades and it it kind of stood the test of time. Whereas Star Trek, it felt like this like very, like it was locked in the 70s and then kind mm -hmm. of like had its moments in the 90s and then it but it was still kind of sputtered out and was irrelevant. Star Wars I think has outlasted that. So which one needed it more? I, Star Trek to me needed it way more. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot lower pressure on Abrams, I think cuz it was like it was like eh, it's Star Trek. Like yes it has a lot of fans, but it's like at this point it's already been driven into the ground mm -hmm. with all the shows and all the whatever. So many shows. But Star Wars it's like there were two trilogies. The most recent one at the time hadn't done well, but mm -hmm. it was also Lucas. So there was there was less pressure on him, I think, with Star Trek. So really great points. I and not that it matters. I actually did go Star Wars here only as a person. You guys have experienced these films. I took my first serious stab at both of these franchises in the past month, and it's interesting because I alternated. So I'd watch a Star Trek, I'd watch a Star Wars, I'd watch a Star Trek, I'd watch a Star Wars. And what you what you glean doing it that way is that there's a linear consistency somehow, and this never happens. But for even though sometimes it's at a fault or to a fault, Star Trek was very dependable. Like, one through seven, even even when you start introducing new characters and new protagonists, it still felt like a Star Trek film. Whereas with Star Wars, I was loving it, and then when I got to A Phantom Menace, I was like, what the hell am I watching? I literally thought... A lot of people I, felt and still feel that way. I hate <laughs> to say it, it's the worst movie I've ever seen. I would rather watch Jaws 4, well, which has a 0%. Yet, so. That's true. I haven't gotten that far. I think for your experience, watching the Star Trek from front to back is way more coherent, mm -hmm. right? Wouldn't you say? You mean like yeah. chronologically? Yeah, like, just like well, in the route you took. Story. I mean, it, there's like three to four years in between each one mm -hmm. and they can evolve. Well, and then even going into the Next Generation movies, they cleanly hand that off from the old mm -hmm. guard. And there's still not that much guard. time between. It's like, what, six, no, there eight is. years, there, something like that? Uh, 80 years. I think it's what? 80 years between original. No, no, no. I mean between actual making the films. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, like release dates. It's like generally. Four to like ninety two or something like it's like yeah, eight yeah, years yeah, yeah. something like that. Oh, they were releasing. They were releasing Star Trek movies consistently mm -hmm. from seventy nine to freaking. Yeah, there's not this weird like it was like Phantom Menace. It's like oh, we got to figure out what the fuck Star Wars is in the new mm -hmm. age, yeah. the digital age. Like it was a whole. Yeah. It was a, it, yeah. But for that reason, and I and I, I'm glad I have a totally different experience, having crunched all of these like a, like the night before a test, right? I just had a more uneven experience, and even though sometimes it may have been a little boring on the Star Trek side that it was pretty linear and consistent in how they handle it. At least I kept getting decent to good Star Trek movies, whereas like with Star Wars, like watching the first three was like elated and like oh my god, this is so emotional, I love it, I'm experiencing history, and then like the drop off, and then whoa. 
slow and then the drop off. Like I feel like Star Wars needed it more because it was like, I need something to show me that something that, that pays a proper tribute to the first three well, films. See, what you're missing though, and this would come from not having been a part of that journey since the beginning, is everyone had kind of put the prequels out of their mind and had just migrated back to the mm. original trilogy. That's what you were telling me. Yeah. Like it was kind of like the prequels were like, oh, those sucked, whatever. We still have the first three. Those are great. Um, so those first three were so powerful that you could have never remade that series. You could have just reminded people of it done, you know, special editions, re-release them to theaters, and it would have just lived on forever. Whereas like Star Trek, I could see it petering out and becoming super niche and super like, yeah. you know, only the biggest of nerds would have gotten into it. Wow, five to four, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and incredible stuff here. And again, I love these close ones. For a while, we had a couple of big winners. This is big great. Big wieners. Big wieners, but let's go down to, before we close out, let's just go preference. Phil, I mean, I think I know, but go ahead. What's your Hate preference? Hate to say it, man. Star Trek 09, mm -hmm. I thought yep. it was a far better film, top to bottom. I would rather watch that than The Force Awakens. Had, okay, this is where it gets complicated, though. Had the rest of the new trilogy been as good as The Force Awakens, mm -hmm. I mm. might be saying something different. But because I know that The Force Awakens is essentially an isolated, positive experience in what ends up being, in my opinion, a dead-end trilogy, it's hard for me to watch The Force Awakens without knowing what happens next. Two really, really bad movies. And I'm sure... I. I've probably have never gotten roasted as much as I will for these saying that about the new Star Wars films, but man, those movies were insufferable and nearly unwatchable. And so I would prefer to watch the Star Trek movies because the whole trilogy is pretty solid and that movie encapsulated in and of itself is very, very good. Yeah, as happy as I am for whatever reason, because I'm a Star Wars fanboy at this point to that the force awakens is when being this movie wars podcast i'm actually i actually think star trek was better so uh, i'm kind of torn it's like i'm happy the star wars won but i think star trek isolated was a better movie so it's tough you know i the way i look at this is which movie as an isolated film would make me want to go back so it's, let's say i didn't watch all the movies as preparation which of these movies would make me go back and want to watch the entire franchise and experience it and i actually will go the other way the force awakens i there was enough mystery there there was enough there was enough coolness and i think the modern technology the modern filmmaking the technician aspect of the force awakens was enough to say hey that's cool i want to go back like they put enough easter eggs in there whereas with star trek if you have zero knowledge of the previous films there's really not enough character substance there honestly like i i feel sure. like watching kirk they almost made it in a way where you almost have to have a previous uh, appreciation for kirk to kind of get his cockiness to kind of get his in Spock is the same way and I, I felt like watching Force Awakens I was like I could go back and rewatch these based mm -hmm. on this experience alone if I had never heard of it before both really cool I got to give credit to J.J. Abrams it takes a lot of cojones to like say I want to remake not one but two of the most fan driven franchises in film history and I think he did a good job I'm, I, I'm not going to say it won me over as a big J.J. Abrams guy but I think he did a great job and we're talking about two really solid reboots in an era where I am fucking exhausted from reboots and remakes and prequels. Like, good job, man. Like, well, two, yeah, two 
major props that had spun off massive lines of action figures, card games, video games, like novels, video board games, games, board every like every conceivable piece of merchandise that you could have around anything. These films did and did well. And to say that J.J. Abrams had a lot of opposition from the original stars, both Leonard Nimoy and Harrison Ford were very, and Mark Hamill were kind of well, not kind of, but were pretty resistant to ever yeah. doing their roles again. Nimoy hadn't done his role in 18 years. What did Abrams do and say with these scripts that got all of these people on Probably board? Probably money at them. Well, That's money. How you fix everything. Money fixes a lot of things. Money is happiness. Let's just be real. Yeah, it is. But yeah, but Abrams was a big deal. Lost From the mid 2000s to like, I mean, he's kind of tapered off. I'd say in the last few years, but mm-hmm. like he did Super 8 and like you said, Cloverfield. Like Lost, Alias. He did Mission Impossible. A lot of people were like, saying he was the, like the Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Yes, he was a big fucking He was next Steven Spielberg. You're right. And you guys, we all went to college around the same time. I mean, if you Mm -hmm. are listening to this and didn't go to college while Lost was out, that was the dorm experience (laughs) when I was at college. It was like, on this night, everyone is packing into dorms to watch Lost. I felt like no one was out. It was like, it's Lost night. Everyone was packed into a dorm. So he he had really, that is a good point. Anyway, what a great set of movies here. I really enjoyed going back to this. I'm a Trekker now. James T. Kirk, Tiberius Kirk. I am a fan of you. Trek, yeah, you are. Trek, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we're entering the holiday season. We're going to get some holiday movies on the on the plate here. But hey, it's been a good time. Live long and prosper. I'm your host, Kyle. I'm Drew. And I'm Fur. Love you. Fur. Woo. Thank you for supporting Movie Wars. We have one more small ask. For just $7 a month, that's right, the price of one measly latte a month, you can support us on Patreon. This will get you access to special content, one-off episodes, and even live Q&As with the hosts, myself included. Also, more money helps us make more content, more episodes, drop stuff more frequently, and just get better all around. Not to mention, it'll feed our children. And isn't that what it's all about? The children. I'm going to drop the link in the episode description. If you're on Apple, on Spotify, you can go to that episode description and find that link to our Patreon. Also, if you are on social media, we are active on all platforms, but we are especially active on TikTok. Find us at Movie Wars Podcast on TikTok. Thanks again for your support. We love you. Bye.